all week as I'm preparing this message for you, I've been thinking, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. And so it's no surprise to me that we're going to have all kinds of technical difficulties. People online can't hear us right now. We got the echo going. It's common when you're going to bring some truth to people that need to hear it and who probably don't want to. See, I want to give you joy. I want to give you hope. This is why we come, to make his name great. But there are times when we have to take a pause and just look at the reality of our situation. See, there's a phrase that's used in sports sometimes about, well, that coach was playing chess while everybody else was playing checkers. You know what I'm talking about? Bill Belichick was playing chess while the other teams were playing checkers. What that means is that they had a higher strategy and everybody else was doing basic stuff. Well, I want to flip that today. I want to talk about the fact that many of you, when you look at the end times, you're playing chess, and we need to be thinking about playing checkers. Does that make sense? See, to anyone who's faking it, you need to know the time of pretending is drawing near to an end. The time for niceties is quickly passing. Choosing sides is going to get real very, very soon. The war in the Holy Land is different than 50 years ago. Soon we will need to talk about Isaiah 17, Ezekiel 38, 39, and all the other prophecies, Revelation, Daniel, all of it. But today, I want to springboard into some storytelling about what end times Christians really look like. Because isn't that really more important? We can play chess with the prophecies all day long, but today we're going to play some checkers. And we're going to look at the facts on the ground. There's a quote that's credited to Coach K from Duke. I tried to verify it. I couldn't verify it, but it's a great quote. But that's who it was attributed to when I found it. And he was pressed about his fiery language to his players during games. And, of course, the question was asked from the tone it down, don't try to hurt anybody's feelings crowd. And here's what Coach K said. He said, I don't have time to say anything but the hard truth in the heat of battle. And if a taste of what we saw in Israel last Saturday comes to America, follow? Today's message is called God-Given Spine of Steel. And we're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Now, we're going to read this passage together. It is three guys today, Phygelus, Hermogenes, and Onesiphorus, all right? Let us start with the 12th verse and read to the end of the chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. And for this portion, I want you to stand in honor of God's word today. In the translation that I've chosen, it starts out in verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do. To get why he's saying that, you'd have to look at verses 1 through 11, but anyway, we're moving on. But I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. But the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. 
May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not afraid of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, be with us. Let these be your words to your children. Give us spines of steel in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, please. All right, you hear those names. How many of you know those guys really well? I want to take a deeper look at what was going on in Paul's world. And I can tell you earnestly that if you pay attention today after this service is over, you will never read that passage the same way again. You will have a new appreciation, a new cognizance, a new realization. It has in it a wonderful message for us. The whole Bible, all of its words, all of its revelations have been made through the character, through the soul, through the life of people. The life of people. One scholar said, it's like stained glass window and the light shines upon it. And from then on, the words then become light colored. I thought that was pretty cool. So it is with us fellow Bible idiots. Those words are delivered through the mind and the soul and the character of people. Have you ever thought of it without people? There's no revelation. All of these words have been written down. They have been delivered by a person or people. Follow? Now, these guys greatly differ as they are presented here in the Bible, which is nothing but a common reflection of life that we see all around us. In this generation, in every generation, there are folks who are noble, God-inspired, God-directed, people of great character. And also at the same time, there are people who are in no way noble. There are folks who are traitors to the faith. There are those who forsake the Lord God. And there are people whose words eat at you like a cancer. There are women who are deceived of the devil as Eve was. There are men who lend themselves as an agent of Satan as Judas did. And Satan entered into Judas after the Lord Jesus gave him a morsel at the Passover meal. Look it up in John 13. Now, but get this. All of these folks are differentiated not because of their abilities, not because of their talents, or their family name, or their gifts, but they differ in what they are. They differ in character. Look, you can expect crookedness from a schemer, heresy from a faker, shame from a coward, and an act of betrayal from a traitor. You can expect those things. And you can also expect truth and honesty from an authentic saved soul and the devotion of a committed Christian. It is character, what a person is. Not what you used to be, but what you are today. That's what makes the play. That's what saves the day, your developed character. And what it actually is will abide forever. Think of that. Talent may shine and gleam for a moment. Gifts may glitter for a while. What a person is, their character, is something that cannot be disguised for long. It will shine through. It will break through inevitably. Look, a devil quoting scripture is still a devil. They need to be recognized as such. However, they may be clothed, robed, or embellished in the Christian speech, acting like an angel of light, their works are still evil. So it is 
with people, their opinions, their lives, their works, are nothing more than a reflection of who they themselves really are. Have you stopped and thought about that? Think about it. Think about Moses, Paul, and John, just those three, and how they stand on their immovable pedestals, untouched by the passing of time. What they were, they are. What they are, they ever shall be through the immeasurable ages of eternity. The divine legislation of Moses is God's law and ever shall be. The divine doctrine of Paul, the gospel to Gentiles like us, and it ever shall be. The divine apocalypse of John and Revelation ever shall be. These characters, what these men are, abide forever, and it's true for us. It's true for you, it's true for me, and it's true for these people who pass like characters on a stage right in our view as we study the scriptures. And I asked at the start of this who had heard of them. Very few. Janus and Jambres, from Pharaoh in the Old Testament to Judas and others, the enemies of Christ, they are that way forever. And it is this way with these men whose names are introduced here today. Written large on the page. You can't miss this. They are of a certain turn. They're a certain character. They are a certain thing. And what they were and how they are comes out and shines in what they did and what is written there on the page forever and forever. Now, the Apostle Paul lived in dark times. When his life closed, when it looked as though faith that he had preached the gospel seed he had sown would forever be stifled and destroyed. When the Bible says that the Satan will overcome the saints, it, think about it now. This is the time of Nero. This is the time of Nero when Paul writes 2 Timothy. It's a wretched and miserable time. Paul has to think that most of his work that he did for the Lord is of no vain of no use, of no account. He lived to see and die in the first great, terrible, ruthless persecution of the Christian faith. And yet he lifted up his heart, he lifted up his eyes, and he had great faith in the ultimate triumph of Christ in his appearing, in his coming again. Nare I say, end times Christianity authentically lived out. And he encourages us today. Had it not been for that, Paul would probably have died in abject misery, without any hope, without any light, without any promise. Have you ever thought about it? Look at First Timothy, or Second Timothy, chapter one, verse fifteen. You know, it the, the starts out. You are aware. You know what that means? That means this. You know. In other words, everybody knows this. It's it's common knowledge that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygellus and Hermogenes. Asia, the Roman province of Asia, it has seven great churches. Capital city was Ephesus. Asia, this is the scene of Paul's greatest, grandest ministry. In all of his life, there was no blessing upon his preaching as to what Jesus did through him in Ephesus and in the Roman province of Asia. And now his last letter, 2 Timothy. This is his farewell. And he's pleading with Timothy to be faithful and true. Now, I've spoken on 2 Timothy and Paul's uh, farewell letter before. And if you think 16 sermons in David is long, I bet you I could give you 20 from Timothy without even squeezing. 
Look at 2 Timothy 1.8 a little earlier in the chapter. It says this, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. You know, this, this message doesn't, doesn't fill churches up with wannabe Christians, I'll tell you. Simple fact, Paul said this to Timothy. I would think Timothy would be the last one who would end up being ashamed. But Paul watched good people turn. Fight jealous to be one of them. So why does he say this statement? Because he's seeing everybody deny the Lord. Are you a Christian? Do you know who Jesus is? No, I've never heard of him. Do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed of the Lord. Do not be ashamed of me as his prisoner, says Paul. Then again in the same chapter, he says, I'm not ashamed for I know who I've believed and I'm persuaded. In the face of incredible dark times. Let me just give you briefly four verse clips from 1 Timothy 1, 8, 12, 13, and 14. These are just little clips. That he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Timothy, hold fast to the pattern of sound words. That good thing which was entrusted to you, kept by the Holy Spirit. You can't read these words without sensing a great dread and darkness that has overwhelmed the Christian faith and the preaching of the saving grace found in Jesus. How about a little, a little later in the chapter? From verse 8 down to verse 15. It's part of our text. You are all aware. You are aware, actually, that all who are in Asia turned away from me. All of them did. Among whom... Phygelus and Hermogenes. How is it that these men deny the validity of the apostle? We have to guess. Maybe they were with him when Paul was arrested. Maybe, maybe the time came when Paul stood before the court, true to the faith in Jesus Christ. And so these two men, converted by Paul, converts there in Asia, Paul's greatest work, they forsook him, they denied him, and they turned away from him. The context, it would appear that they said something to Paul, about Paul like, yeah, nah, he's just another paid dude. He's just another purveyor of seller of false and vain ideas. We don't know him. Never heard of him. Context would lend the idea that they were actually men who were leaders in the church. And in that hour of darkness and despair, they led the church into apostasy, into denial of the faith. Look at it again. All who are in Asia turned away from me. Among them are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Then he speaks of one, and we quickly forget the other two who denied the faith, traitors to the cause, led the church into heresy. Then he mentions the one, which is the focus today. He says, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Do you see it? Let me help you. Onesiphorus, he was a convert in Asia, in Ephesus. 
And the common sense of the times and of the text would tell us he was a most able, well-to-do, gifted man. For the ministry in Paul in the great city of Ephesus, he supported Paul, and everybody knew it, especially Timothy. He helped Paul. He encouraged Paul. He stood by Paul. He saw him through. This man, Onesiphorus, who has a household. What does that mean? Well, this would mean an affluent house, uh, an affluent home in which there were many servants, a family, a household. And upon a day... Onesiphorus is in Rome. And I think it's more than fair to suppose that he was a merchant. He traveled. He was a man who could and would move and shake, as it were, in those times. And he was in Rome upon a day. And while this merchant man from the city of Ephesus was in the great capital of Rome, he heard that his old friend and preacher, the Apostle Paul, was a prisoner in the city. A strange thing I remembered and was brought to my attention studying this week that about St. Patrick. You can look it up again if you'd like. Christianity was brought to the British Isles by merchantmen from the Roman province of Asia. The preaching of the word and the sowing of the seed of the gospel that first came to European forefathers that eventually led to the planting of this country was brought to them by businessmen from Ephesus in the city of the Roman province of Asia. It was Eastern Mediterranean Christianity that was first preached and received by our American forefathers in those ancient British churches up there in the British Isles. And I'm think, I think of some really strong businessmen that I have met. One man comes to mind. His name's Al Caperna, and he lives south of Toledo, Ohio. And I was asked to direct the documentary of Al. It's about a 10-minute to 15-minute short about his life. So I went and stayed with him and embedded with him for three days. And this guy changed my life. Because this guy is convinced, and I am too, that God called him to not only be a good businessman, but to be a great businessman and to make a ton of money and to honor God with it. I think Al owns 30 businesses. A third of them are in Europe. He's just a great guy who loves the Lord. He's not caught up in all this stuff, but he's fulfilling his calling, which in my opinion is just as noble as being a pastor or a missionary or anything else that we think of as noble. Al doesn't have an ounce of greed in him, but he knows God's called him to make money and to be a good boss, and he is. He's, he's an incredible man. This man, Anesiphorus, was one of those types. This man, Anesiphorus, was one of those traveling merchantmen, well-to-do, affluent. He finds himself in the city of Rome, and he hears that Paul is a prisoner in Rome, so he sets out to find the apostle. Now, things have changed since Paul first got there. See, when Paul first was a prisoner in Rome, he lived in his own hired house. He preached the gospel openly and fearlessly, and anybody who would, could come and go listen to the marvelous good news of the gospel. When Paul was first in Rome, it was all about the Son of God. But not so this time. The house arrest was now over. We, we don't get to find out what happened when he left house arrest. But now Paul's in a dungeon, and he's waiting to be executed. Onesiphorus very diligently sought to find Paul. Nobody knew where Paul was. It's another day. It's another hour. 
for persecution launched by Nero is now burning furiously. And for a man to be known as a Christian is to risk death itself. Nobody knew where Paul was. Onesiphorus, this merchant man, he makes his way up to the city officials. I can just see him. I can see the story playing out. And he asks where Paul is, the prisoner. And they say, we don't know him. Never heard of him. He makes his way to the praetorian guard. Hey, uh, do you know where Paul, the the prisoner, is? I don't know. Never heard of him. He asks a business associate, where is Paul, the preacher of Christ? We don't know. Never heard of him. Finally, somebody draws Onesiphorus aside. And whispers in his ear and says, and that's the force, shh, 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 don't ask openly and publicly about Paul, the preacher of Christ. Don't you know? See, now whoever is found to be a Christian is thereby indicted as an enemy to the gods and an enemy of the state. And subject to immediate death. Immediate death. Or prolonged death with some of the horrors that Nero did, which I'm not going to repeat here. Shh, Onesimus, don't ask about Paul. So this guy, this noble man, draws himself up. And with what only could be described as a spine of steel, said, if Paul, the apostle of Christ, is in the city of Rome, I will find him, life or death. And he searches, he asks, he goes from one prison to another. Finally, he meets somebody. Oh, Paul, yeah, I remember Paul. Yeah, I remember that guy. Roman citizen, a Jew. He's a Christian. I happened to be in the courtroom when he was condemned to death. You'll find him at the Mamertine prison where they are lodged to await the final and inevitable execution. Mamertine prison where those are kept who are to be slain by the order of the Roman emperor. Onesiphorus, the merchant man, makes his way to the Mamertine prison. Now, this prison, it's cut out of solid rock on Capitoline Hill. All this is Googleable. The only entrance to that awful dungeon, made like a cistern, was up at the top. It was a grate of iron through which the prisoner is let down into that awful hole, through which food and water are offered down. A stench, a horror. The only light that which can struggle through the iron grating awaiting execution, there's no escape. Emily and I have been there. If you ever get a chance to go to Rome, look it up. So Onesiphorus goes up to one of the guards and he says, Sir, in the dungeon, is there a prisoner named Paul? Yeah, says the guard. So Onesiphorus draws a little pouch from his pocket, maybe a little gold, places it in the hands of the guard. May I see him? The guard is astonished. Gold? Yeah, sure. No problem. He goes to the iron grating, lifts it away. He lets Onesiphorus down into the dungeon. He looks around, and there chained to the solid rock is Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Paul to look up and see his old buddy there? Onesiphorus. Go back to the 20th, act, uh, 20th chapter of Acts and read in verses 36 and 37. It won't be on the screen, but, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. Can you see that? Chained to the solid rock 
and the Mamertine prison, and Onesiphorus comes. Can you see the old great messenger of the cross as he falls into the arms of his bud? And as his friend hugs him, and he's holding the man who won him to Christ, the apostle of Jesus, Paul. Onesiphorus. I want to be an Onesiphorus. And I want you to be an Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus, he sought me out diligently, very diligently, and he found me. And he often refreshed me, for he was not ashamed of my chain. Can you feel it? You want to be in the end times? You want to be an end times Christian? This is it. Onesiphorus probably came back on another day, pulled out another little pocket of gold, put it in the hand of the guard to see Paul. Yes, he removes the iron grating. Onesiphorus is let down to that foul, stinking dungeon again, probably again, probably again. Look, Paul, he says, he's got some bread to eat. Look, Paul, he says, there's a little water for him to wash. Look, Paul, he's got a coat. Look, Paul, he's got a book. Hey, Paul, I brought pencil and paper this time. Every time that he came, he brought something. In our text, he often refreshed me. He helped me. He brought me something. Then the day arrived when someone from the loser crowd noticed the rich merchant man. Evidently, from one of the great provinces of the east, making his way to that Mamertime dungeon, he watched him again, and he saw gold pass to the guard, and then this lowlife made his way to a serpent named Tigalinus. He's Googleable too. Tigalinus is that evil beast behind Nero. He made it to the head of the Praetorian Guard because he was the one who would supply for the sensual appetites of that pathetic joke of a human named Nero. I used to call him Nero the Zero, but that ain't even strong enough. And so some loser who wants to make a name makes his way to Tigalinus. Draws Tigalinus aside and says, listen, listen, Tigalinus, I know a name. I can point out to you a man, a rich merchant, and he goes to see Paul the Christian. I bet he's a Christian himself. He's bound to be. Now, Tigalinus, listen, you seize him, you accuse him, and you can then confiscate his property, and all that he has is yours. Tigalinus, just give me something, and I'll show you the man. I'll point him out. I'll name him. And the evil Tigalinus, seeing an opportunity to confiscate a rich merchantman and throttle him, said, how much? And they would agree on a trader's price. And then that loser would take some of the Praetorian Guard, and he waits just in the shadow of the Capitoline Hill. And when Onesiphorus comes with love and prayers and bread and water for his friend, the apostle of Jesus Christ, that jerk points him out. That's him. That's Onesiphorus. And he's arrested in the hands of the cruel and venomous Tigalinus. How did Tigalinus destroy him? Well, we have to guess. But it's not that hard. If he was a Roman citizen, he was beheaded. He was brought to trial. And there, there in a Roman court, this person would accuse him, this man is a Christian. And the Roman judge, which would be a deputy of Janus or a deputy of Jupiter or a deputy of Juno or a deputy of Venus or whatever other mumbo-jumbo. So the the Roman judge slash governor looks at him and says, are you a Christian? And Anesiphorus said, I am. Are you a friend of Paul, the proclaimer of that Jesus Christ? 
Yes, sir, I am. If he were a Roman citizen, he was tried and beheaded. If he were provincial, and I think he was provincial, if he was a citizen of Ephesus in the Roman province of Asia, Tigellinus, to destroy him, had no other trouble, no other choice, no other obstacle, but to give the command, and he's fed to the lions. He's murdered by the Praetorian Guard. He is fed to the gladiator combat and spectacle. Thus ends the life of Onesiphorus. And Tigellinus would have seized his wealth and his property. And the next day, Onesiphorus didn't come. And the next day, Onesiphorus didn't come. And the next day he didn't come, and Paul wondered and wondered. And somebody told him, I don't know, maybe it was Luke who was still with him. Maybe it was the guard who heard. But somebody said, Onesiphorus has lost his life. And Paul, as though he didn't have enough sorrow and trouble, picks up the pen and writes, The Lord give mercy unto the household of Onesiphorus back in Ephesus. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy in the Lord in that day. If that doesn't get you going, I don't know what will. And by the way, when he closed the letter, the last salutation the Apostle Paul ever wrote is in chapter 4, verse 19. The last actual salutation. Salute the household of Onesiphorus. Listen to it again. For he was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy in the Lord that day. I'd like to meet this guy. Wouldn't you? I'm going to seek him out when we're partying in the New Jerusalem. And I want to shake his hand. And I'll probably bow my head a little bit in his presence. Why? Because that's what it is to be a Christian. You want to be in the end times? This is what an end times Christian looks like. This is God-given spine of steel. Let me give you a couple scriptures. Romans 10.9 was written for this time. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We turn that into sinner's prayer. Oh, just confess with your mouth and be saved. No, in this time, it was you confess Caesar is Lord. No, I'm going to confess Jesus Christ is Lord. And sometimes you barely get the word Lord out of your mouth before the spear is run right through you. This was real, folks. Why is this important? Because our Lord and Savior has told us straight up that if we can't play this game, we can't play at all. Let's look at it. Matthew 10, 32. Therefore, whoever, this is Jesus talking, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? How about Mark 8, 38? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... What generation are we living in? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man, will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. What happened to Peter? He swore, you know, he swore up and down he'd never deny the Christ. 
And Jesus said, you joke, you weak man. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows tomorrow morning. And if you don't know, look it up in Luke 22. Peter even denied him in front of what some say is like a 15, 16-year-old waitress in the court. And what happened? He went out and he wept bitterly. And he wept bitterly and he never denied Jesus again, even going to a crucifixion upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified like his Lord. See, this isn't popular, what I'm telling you today. In the you be you and I'll be me and freedom in Christ to do whatever I want in my weak consumer Christianity. But if we are in the end times, step up. That's what it is to be a Christian. Stand up and be counted. It's that simple. It's checkers. It ain't chess. There's no big strategy here. Are you a Christian? I am. What if it costs you your life? If we are in the end times, it says that the enemy is allowed to overcome the saints. What does that look like? See, the blood of the Passover in Exodus chapter 12, the blood of the Passover was to be placed on the door and on either side of the beam, openly, publicly displayed for all Egypt, and the king himself could see this house was set aside for God. Openly displayed. That's what it is to be a Christian. Daniel, as his want and his custom was, opened wide the window where all could see, openly and publicly. Then the decree goes out. Whoever doesn't bow at the sound of the trumpet shall be thrown into the fiery furnace. That's in Daniel chapter 3. And the three Hebrew children were counted, one of them, two of them, three of them, refusing to bow before the golden image of the king. And when they were thrown in the fiery furnace, they looked in and there was one of them. There were two of them. There were three of them. And now there was a fourth one. And he looked like the Son of God. That's what it is to be a Christian. Lord, give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not afraid of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And that's what we're all here for. Because in that day, we need Jesus. And many of us know it. I want to look at 2 Timothy 1.12. This time, I just I put it up in the New King James Version because I want you to get a different vibe. But it says, For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Until that day. Up and through that day. What does it really matter if our little life here is snuffed out? What does it matter if we're ostracized here? What does it matter if we're ridiculed and made fun of here? He is able in that day. Onesiphorus, may God raise up more like him in this and every generation who stand up, who are counted for Christ. I am a Christian, I am. By the grace of God and his mercy and strength, I am a follower of the Lamb, and I don't care who knows it. For some of you, right now might be the time for you to give your life to Jesus. Would you come openly and publicly where everybody can see? In America, we've made it a 
a trade secret. Every eye closed and every head bowed. We're you and you alone with Jesus. And we're going to have Sheila play Just As I Am, 19 verses. We're going we're to jack up the floor towards the front. And when you come down, we're going to count you up so we can then send it to our donors. Look at how great we are in our evangelism. Mm-mm. I'm not dissing that. I'm just saying, I came to the Lord that way, and I know some of you have too. But that sinner's prayer, if you're doing it flippantly to add Jesus onto your life, you will be a consumer Christian, and you will not receive the spine of steel. But if you come openly and publicly, and you don't care who knows it, the Lord Jesus Christ will reach down into your life and he will strengthen you in ways that I can't describe with words. Would you claim Jesus and come to him for forgiveness of your sins openly and publicly if there was 20,000 people watching you? What if it was broadcast on TV? Openly and publicly. What if tomorrow somebody were to laugh or mock or ridicule you Are you still willing to be openly and publicly an authentic Christian? Can you say, yes, I'm a disciple of the Lord. My trust is in him. Before men, before women, unashamed, confessing Jesus as Lord, is that you? So I started the message with this. Let me end with it. To anyone who is faking it, you need to know the time of pretending is nearing an end. The time for niceties is quickly passing. Choosing sides is going to get real very soon. I don't apologize for sharing this with you because God laid it on my heart. Somebody here needed to hear this. This is the kind of message that consumer Christians will run from. It's time. It's time to be real. It's time to know who you serve and why you serve him. See, I'm a very sinful human being. And in my natural nature, I don't seek out the things of God. But while I was still a sinner, Jesus Christ worked his way to me and saved me while I was still in my sins. And he gives me freely the gift of eternal life. Why? Because he lived the perfect life. He died a sacrificial death in my place. And then he has victory over death, hell, and the grave. And when he offers that free gift to me, I become born again. The old has passed away. The new has come. Well, then I just better be a goody two-shoes and live for Jesus in that manner. No. Every day. I'm not worthy, Lord. And God says, but I call you a saint. But Lord, what about, don't, you're born again. Lord, give me depth, give me strength. You ask him those things and he will show up in your life in a big, big way. Well, I don't really feel God. Are you playing games? Oh yeah, I'm playing all kinds of games. Duh. I wonder why he didn't show up. I'm here in Harlan, Iowa. Because I believe that the spirit of Vanessa Forrest is alive in this body. I believe that there is so much 
positive, authentic Christianity here. And I just want to be a part of it. And I'll do my best to share with you the joy of the Lord. But if we get spines of steel, the joy of the Lord is a natural byproduct. Does that make sense? May the Lord just bless you if we are, in fact, living in the end days. And I'll I'll, I'll take you through it. We'll talk about the bowls and the trumpets and all that stuff. But you want to know something? What does it matter if you're trying to play chess with end times prophecy when Jesus just wants you to simply be on the checkered board and live for him? Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we just love you and thank you and praise you. Lord, I thank you for the Anessa Forces that are here in this room. And I thank you, Lord, that there are those that are going to grow to be them in the coming days. Lord, just do with these words as you do. Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of my husband, Chris Danielson. BibleIdiots.com is still the website for this show, but we have grown. The new parent ministry is found at FreshRoadMedia.com. We would love to have you join us on our sister broadcast, a talk show that walks out Christian living and Bible apologetics entitled No Apology with Emily and Chris, a weekly download from FreshRoadMedia.com. Both broadcasts are listener supported and we would love to have you join us as the Lord leads. I'm Emily Danielson and thank you so much for spending some time with us today. And may you see the blessings of the Lord as you go and serve your King.